Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome back, folks. Welcome to yet another special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. As you know, I try to bring you uh, the best folks from around the world to teach you in all areas, health, relationships, sexuality, spirituality, mindfulness, meditation, uh, fitness, nutrition. And uh, today's guest, someone I am personally like, really excited about. You may already know her if you haven't. I'm just going to just go out on a limb and say I think you're about to have your heart blown open and your world rocked. Um, I had the opportunity to meet her. Uh, feels like uh, quite a while ago, but it was probably mm, a month ago. Three weeks. And yeah. uh, three weeks ago, she says. <laughs> three weeks ago, but it feels like a, a lifetime already. And uh, the moment I met her, you know, I meet a lot of people, but the moment I met her, I looked into her eyes and I felt a depth. I felt a, a realness. I felt a genuineness. I felt like this is my soul sister right here. And I just, just fell in love with her being. So I'm very excited to share her with you. She's the founder of Ziva Meditation. She is the leading expert in meditation for extraordinary performance. You may have heard of a best-selling book, Stress Less, Accomplish More. Uh, she's been on New York, featured in New York Times, Good Morning America, Today Show, Vogue, ABC. I mean, she's taught more than 20,000 students around the world in terms of meditation and spoken at Apple, Google, Harvard. I mean, folks, you get the point. I mean, she's, she's amazing. She, uh, the Ziva Meditation is a trifecta of mindfulness, meditation, manifesting, and uh, Emily Fletcher. Emily, <laughs> welcome. Hi. What a joy. I, I felt so similarly when we met. I was like, who is this amazing angel human? And I've been really looking forward to this time for selfishly because I want to get to know you more. But I feel like everyone else can eavesdrop in on our, on our date. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Finally, we make it happen. So listen, I, I, have, I have a bunch of questions, but I, I really want to, especially for those listening in, some, some folks may have read your book, some may not have. I'm kind of curious myself too, is like, what's, you know, what's your story? Like, you teach meditation, one of the leading meditation teachers, you know, one of the things I connected with you too was this India connection. You went to Rishikesh and went to India. And what I really love that you're doing is, is at least my experience of you wasn't some woo-woo sort of, you know, esoteric person floating in the clouds, you know, nothing wrong with that, but you just seem so grounded and, you know, living in New York, grounded, real, and nothing about you had like this, I don't know, this, this esoteric fluff. You were just real. And that's what I loved about you. And then I'm like, wow, your meditation teacher, tell me more. So how the hell did that happen? Like, what was your journey to you know, teaching meditation and creating Ziva and, and what you're doing in terms, of, I know you, you were on Broadway, you can share a bit about that, but how did you get here? Uh, I love hearing, I would love to hear your story. Yeah. So I, to be very honest, I think I knew at a young age, I knew I would be an actress. I knew I would be on Broadway, but I knew that it wouldn't end there. Ever, ever since I was a little girl, I saw myself on stages. Yes. But eventually it was, I could see that walking on this one stage and there was a podium, like an old school 1980s podium. Um, but I was speaking to thousands and thousands of women. I don't teach exclusively women, but uh, it was just mm. this image that I had. And, and Broadway did, it was a beautiful training ground for me to really hone my performance skills. And anytime you're an athlete or a singer or a dancer or an actress where you're using your body as your instrument, you have to become a bit of a witch or a wizard just to keep yourself well. I was just listening to an interview with Josh Gad, who was in Book of Mormon, and he also voices Olaf in Frozen. 
And he said that mm. his voice teacher says that the hardest thing about Broadway is keeping yourself well enough to perform because it's eight shows a week, wow. six days a week. And, and you're not doing that for a season. You're doing that every week of the year for years. I did it for 10 wow. years. And so oh my God. you learn quite a bit of immune system hacks, sleep hacks, performance hacks. Like if you're sick and you have the flu, how can you sing a solo and dance your face off? And, and so that was mm. part of my performance. Training. Um, but the, and I, I'll tell the Broadway story, which I, I tell a lot, but I think you're, you and, and your folks might be interested in perhaps the story behind the story, which yeah, was well, when I was 20. Yeah. Uh, when I was 24, I was on tour with the producers and I got a call from my mom and she said that my father was very sick and that I needed to come home. And he had been diagnosed with liver cancer. And anything, anytime you get a, a story or like a diagnosis, you think, well, we must have a few months. We must have a few years. And you go into, well, I want to fight it. And and so by the time I got home, my dad was basically in a coma and we went to the cancer wow. center and they said, you know, they gave us a six pack of insure and they basically sent us on our way. And, and I was not yet ready to accept this, the reality that he was dying. And I said, well, we have to fight it. Like we have to do everything we can to keep him alive. And so in 48 hours, I became a bit of a um, makeshift cancer nutritionist. And I started, I learned how to start feeding his body and not the disease. And we got in these machines from Japan and these, we started doing apple pectin and fluorescence and green juices and which all this stuff seemed weird. You know, I mean, some of it was weird even still, but back in the day, feeding the body and starving the cancer seemed like witchcraft. And this is in 2004 mm. in Tallahassee, Florida. Um, wow. But the good news is that in 48 hours, he was walking up and down the stairs and he could talk and his eyes were open and he still only had four weeks to live from the, from his diagnosis to his passing was four weeks. But when we started doing all those things, he was able to increase his quality of life. He was able to say his goodbyes. He was able to be conscious for the precious moments that he had left. And that was a real gift wow. for him, but it was also a gift for us. And so, wow. and that was a real moment for me where I was like, Oh, like the body is infinitely capable of healing. And, you know, and this is, I mean, ultimately, yes, he died, but to watch that turnaround felt like a miracle. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll become a naturopathic doctor because I've always been interested in the body and I've always been interested in healing. But I started therapy a few weeks after my dad passed because anyone who's lost mm -hmm. a parent, it's, it's interesting the kind of emotional and spiritual dust that it kicks up, like even things that you think yes. healed sometimes will resurface when your parents pass. Um, so I've mm -hmm. been noticing a lot in my, in my friends' lives right now. Um, so... Anyway, a long story longer, I um, started therapy and found this amazing man who was the most emotionally intelligent human I've ever met. And he called himself a therapist, but he was really um, much more than that. Like he had created this whole system around clearing the emotional charge around something. And I trained in that modality for about seven years and thought I wanted to teach that. And then I found meditation. And, uh, and so at this point, I was in a chorus line on Broadway. I was understudying three of the lead roles. And that means you show up to the theater and you have no idea which character you're going to play. So it's this constant oh fight gosh. or flight. It's this constant panic. Yeah. Sounds, and sounds stressful. It is. It was. So I was going gray at 26. I was having insomnia. I couldn't sleep through the night for 18 months. I was getting sick and injured. And so here I am on Broadway, living my dream, doing the thing I'd wanted to do since I was a child and I was miserable. So thankfully, this amazing woman was sitting next to me in the dressing room. She was understudying five of the leads, including Cassie. But this woman was celebrating. I mean, she was like you. Like every song she sang, every bite of food was a celebration. Like her eyes were just so bright. And I, I thought, what do you know that I don't know? And she said, I meditate. And I rolled my eyes and I didn't mm. believe her. And I just kept going gray and having insomnia. And then I finally learned to meditate and it cured my insomnia on the first day of the first class. I slept through the night for the first time in 18 months. I then did not get sick for eight wow. and a half years. I stopped going gray. And so I, I left Broadway. I went to India. I started what became a three-year training process to teach. I was not in India that whole time. I'm not that hardcore, but my training was pretty hardcore. <laughs> And uh, and then I graduated, and like you said, since I, I then I've, I've taught twenty thousand people to meditate. The book has sold fifty thousand copies in a year, and it's uh, been a wild and exciting ride. Okay, we gotta we gotta slow down. We gotta break that down, a little bit, you know. It's like woo, the whole like twenty ten years in in like a second. There's a lot. Yeah. There. So wait. Yeah. You, you, 
you were on Broadway, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, living the dream. I mean, this is your, I mean, this is what people live for, to be on Broadway. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, you kind of, you made it, you know I mean? Obviously, there, there's always different expressions, but you are living Broadway. And I just heard you say you left to India. That You left Broadway, like, as in retired, left, you, you were done, you were out. Well, the first time I went to India, I went just to deepen my own practice. Like, I just loved this thing so much. It had helped me so much that I thought I have to learn more. And so I went to just do a retreat, and I was studying the Upanishads. But this is a pretty cool story. So I learned to meditate on the four days in between. I was doing Chorus Line Broadway, and then I was going to go do the Chorus Line Tour, and I had four days off. And I learned to meditate in those four days. And Course Line Broadway was the worst job I've ever had. Course Line Tour was the best job I'd ever had until Viva. Mm. Um, but my second city on tour was Los Angeles. And I knew there was a lot of meditation teachers in LA. So I was doing some Googling and I found someone and I said, hey, do you have any group meditations this week? He said, yeah, Wednesday, 6.30, come on over. So I drive from downtown mm. all the way to Venice, and uh, mm. which, you know, you're in LA, that's a long drive. And I get there and that's it's just him drive. and his girlfriend. And, uh, and mm. I was like, well, this is not the group meditation experience I was really interested in. And finally, I realized they're not serial killers. And so I just close my eyes. I meditate. Afterwards, I open my eyes and I see this photo. I don't know if it's a photo or a painting or what, but it's this snapshot. And it's uh, mm. a bridge and a light at the end of it. And I looked yes. at him and I said, what is that? And he said, that's, that's Rishikesh. And I was like, what's a Rishikesh? And he said, that's this town in India. We do this retreat there every couple of years. Are you coming? And I was like, no. And I looked back at the photo and I look at him and I said, yeah, I'm going to go. So cut to six months later, I'm in India. We would go and meditate. And you know, the, the Lakshmanjula bridge, we would med- meditate mm-hmm. on the banks of the Ganges at dawn. Mm-hmm. And so we were crossing the bridge and I stopped in my tracks because it's the exact same snapshot that I saw in that photo in Venice. And the sun was rising. And so this light was at the end of the bridge. And I started sobbing, crying. And I knew that the me in that moment came back to the me mm-hmm. in Venice and said, you have to come here. You have to teach this. And so it was wow. in, in India that I thought, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to teach this. But even then, I thought later, later, when I'm not dancing, when I'm not singing, I'll do it when I'm 50. And, mm. and so I just kept pursuing my career as an actress. And then it just became increasingly clear uh, that this is where nature wanted to use me. Um, mm. So it, it wasn't like I just decided to leave acting. It just happened slowly and then all at once. Um, when did you know? You know, there was a moment like you, you knew? Because I think many times people get to a point in their life where maybe there's a feeling of life is pulling me in a different direction. Maybe I'm mm-hmm. outgrowing the life I've, I've created. But because we've created a level of success or there's survival issues and how do I make money? And what will people think? We don't follow the, the deeper impulse of our souls. And so what, what gave you the, the courage to make that leap from Broadway? Was there a yeah. moment? Was there this? Tell me there about was, that. There was two moments. One, I mean, one was this sort of profound, you know, like you come here, like the whole body time folding over on itself, like that kind of moment. And that was just the original mm-hmm. image of like, oh, yes, you're going <clears> to <throat> do this. When I didn't know. Um, and then there was another moment where I was training. Oh, let me just think about this. I was teaching. So I'd already graduated. But, oh, to be very mm-hmm. honest, I thought that teaching meditation was just going to be like a cute side gig. Like, oh, I was like, oh, well, gotcha. I'll do it in between shows. Or like if acting isn't busy, I'll, I'll teach more and vice versa. And then there was this one week where... I was in final callbacks to play Velma in Chicago on Broadway. So the lead role in Velma in Chicago on Broadway, I was opening up an acting school. So I opened up the East coast division of the number one acting school in LA. So I was training teachers to teach Mm. and I was launching the world's first online meditation training all in the same week. And like, you know, I like, (laughs) I like to consider myself a high performer, but this was uh, not sustainable and I was not doing any of it well. And and that's the moment that I Mm. realized, I, you know, that my heart is not in this. And so I called my agents and I said, I love you guys, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to stop auditioning. And, and as I thank you for everything. And by that time, honestly, it wasn't even sad because I had been voting for so long with my time and my attention. Like my body knew way before my brain caught on. And so by the time my intellect actually realized what my body had been doing for years, it wasn't that emotional, but 
when I was doing my teacher training, I was meditating for about 18 hours a week and it was a very intensive practice that the whole point of it is to eradicate the backlog of stresses stored in the nervous system. So it was very sad. It was very like every stress and sadness you've ever had starts coming out of your body and the flavor of my sadness. The story behind that sadness was mourning the loss of my identity as an actress. You know, I was just so, mm-hmm. I remember being in bed, watching the Tony Awards on my laptop on YouTube and just crying my eyes out and being so sad that wow. I wasn't going to do that anymore. But that wasn't even true because even after I had stopped acting, I had a call from this amazing woman named Bjork Lee and she invited me to sing in a guy named Marvin Hamlish's memorial concert. Marvin Hamlish is one of the few winners of the Pugat, so he's a Pulitzer, Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony Award. And he sadly passed away. And so I'm picturing this is going to be like a few hundred Broadway performers in a church. It's not. It's at Juilliard. I get there. Mike Nichols is directing it. And I'm on stage, and he goes, Emily, can you just bring the microphone out on stage with you? Because we don't know what Liza's going to do. And I was like, Liza... Manelli? And he said, yeah. And then we go back in the dressing room after the rehearsal and I hear this amazing voice. And I said, who is that? And they said, oh, that's Aretha Standen. And I said, Aretha Franklin? And then we walk oh out God. of the dressing room and there's a star and it says Streisand. And I was like, are you kidding me right now? Barbara Streisand? What? So I called my husband and I was like, babe, you have to come to this thing. I was sandwiched in between Liza Manelli, Aretha Franklin, and Barbara Streisand. And then I was like, good night, New York. Like that's, the, like, that's the end. That's the swan song. I'm never topping this. So that was the last time I ever Oh, my before. God. That's a, that is a send-off and a half. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the universe saying, bon voyage, you know? You're yeah, like, I'm good, but I'm not that good. Like, yeah. I was never going to top that. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Wow, wow. So, so meditation. So you went full-blown into meditation. Um, yeah. before I ask you like specifically kind of about meditation, I'm, was it, was it, was it scary or at that moment? Cause you know, a lot of times we, we don't take the leap because we're afraid. I mean, you'd obviously been voting with your time, but was there fear of going into fear the unknown? Of starting something new? Yeah. Something new, fear of the unknown. I mean, you've been meditating, you've been letting go of, you've been grieving, letting go of the identity. But mm-hmm. At this moment, was there any fear at all? Or you were just like, I'm at peace. That's I'm interesting. Done. I don't think so. I don't, I, there wow. was, there definitely was sadness saying goodbye to the old. Yeah. Because I did yeah. love it. But I don't think I was scared about starting. Mm. I just knew it mm. was going to work. And I knew the world needed it. And I knew yeah. that I, this is, I'm, I mean, when I'm teaching, it is like every cell in my body is like, oh, this is why you are on the planet Earth. Like, it is uh, mm-hmm. very clear. Like, my whole, some of this probably happens to you when you're speaking, but like sometimes yeah. my body will rock from side to side. And Sharon Salzberg calls that rapture. And I'm not moving it, it's just moving. And, and it just feels mm-hmm. like, you know, like old school when like the spirit moves you. It feels like some of that kind of mm-hmm. stuff happens when I teach. Mm-hmm. And, and so I wasn't scared. There was moments of frustration wow. and like, will this work? And, you know, I, st- I would start a program and no one would sign up. And, you know, there was th- those wow. moments, but I was never yeah. scared. Yeah. There was always a, a knowing. felt feels like there's a knowing. Yep. So, med- mm-hmm. so meditation, okay? Mm-hmm. We say meditation. There's so many different definitions of what meditation is and isn't and some people say i meditate and i listen to my little app on my phone and i'm meditating i mean and when when they tell me that's meditation i'm like that doesn't sound like meditation but there's so many different definitions of meditation and i guess just to clarify when you say meditation what do you mean and and like what is meditation for those wondering like what the hell is meditation is it, I'm yeah. monitoring my breath, I'm listening to my headspace, calm app, I mean, and songs, and I'm meditating, or I'm walking. What is meditation? What is the real yeah. essence of meditation? How does someone know when they're meditating? Because people often also say, could I, I can't, I can't meditate, you know, I, I, I just can't do it, so I don't even bother doing it. And so, break that down, kind of demystify what this meditation thing is. Mm-hmm. So thank you for clarifying this because you're 100% right. People are calling anytime they're not drinking alcohol or scrolling through Facebook. They're like, oh, I'm meditating. It's like, come on, everybody. I'm meditating. <laughs> yeah, like walking in the woods. It's, it's called walking in the woods. It's, it's the, uh, exercise. It's the, net, called exercise. The, net, the Netflix meditation, right? I'm watching Netflix. Yeah, Netflix meditation. <laughs> okay. I mean, so that's break all it down. where we are right now. Um, so the simplest definition of meditation is a stress-relieving tool, 
But if that was the only definition, then sure, Netflix would qualify, wine would qualify, you know, walking in the woods would qualify. And those, uh, those things are all great, you know, but they're not the same thing as meditation, not even exercise, because exercise is exciting the nervous system. Meditation is de-exciting the nervous system. They both can relieve stress, but Exercise is good enough to deal with your stress in the now. Meditation is getting rid of your stress from the past. And this leads me to uh, really the the crux of your question, which is with the millions of different apps out there and the millions of different YouTube videos, like how do you know what is real meditation? What's best for you? What are the different types? So I like to put them into three really simple categories, all the different types of meditation. Mm. There's mindfulness, there's meditation, and there's manifesting. So these are the three M's actually of the Ziva technique, mindfulness, mm-hmm. meditation, and manifesting. Mindfulness is what I would consider most of the apps, most of the YouTube videos, most of the drop-in mm-hmm. studios. Anytime someone else is guiding you through, anytime you're yes. even directing your focus, so you're concentrating on your breath, you're counting your breath, you're visualizing, you're picturing a waterfall, you're doing a body scan. Those are all beautiful techniques. And they're keeping you in your left brain because you're directing your focus. And therefore, they're very good at dealing with your stress in the now. I had a crazy day at work. Traffic was nuts. I did 10 minutes of my app. I feel better in the now. State change. Mm-hmm. This is very mm-hmm. different than the meditation portion of Ziva, which is all about a trait change. It's getting rid of that stress from your past. And, in, and, and I'm a meditation snob, admittedly, but what I would call real meditation is where you're accessing a verifiable fourth state of consciousness and where you're meaning different than waking, sleeping, or dreaming and where your body is getting rest that's five times deeper than sleep. And that is not insignificant because when you give your body the rest that it needs, it knows how to heal itself. And it's not only healing itself from the stress from today, it's able to heal itself from all that stress from the past. That dog that barked in our face when we were 10, our parents divorced when we were 12, that breakup when we were 17, those have all left little imprints, little open windows on our brain computer. And by the time the average adult is 20, we have about 10 million of those open windows on our brain computer. They're called premature cognitive commitments. And they are making us stupid, sick, and slow as a species. It is not one stressful event that will do that to you. It is a lifetime of accumulated stress that's making us stupid, sick, and slow. And I don't think that we can afford to be stupid, sick, and slow right now at this moment in history. Yes. You know, we as a species are being called upon to, to ask and answer some very important and intense challenges and so we need all hands on deck mentally we need all hands on deck to solve you know issues like climate change and racial segregation and income inequality like we need all hands Mm -hmm. on deck and doctors are calling stress the black plague of our century according to harvard medical school stress is responsible for 90 percent of all doctors visits and so Mm -hmm. i think that we can't afford to just be dealing with the state change anymore i don't think we can afford to just you know, do 10 minutes of an app and be like, okay, well, I feel better. And then now we have to actually get in and clean house Yeah. because really that's where we get the return on time investment. So, you know, I think none of us have time to spend. I think all of us have time to invest. Meaning if if someone's asking you to spend a hundred dollars, you might not have that. But if you were to invest a hundred dollars, you know, you were going to get an ROI then you're like, oh, yeah, I'll do I'll do $100. I know I'm going to get $300 back. And that's what I'm mm-hmm. asking people to do in meditation. It's like, give me 15 minutes in the morning, and I'll give you back three hours in your day. Mm-hmm. I love it. And what I'm really hearing, too, is, that, and I think you and I are similar in this way, which is why I, I, I think we resonate, even without us having talked about it, is um, meditation as a, it's almost like as a, as a purification, you know, it's, it's purifying, it's releasing from the nervous system, not just doing a technique to to put a lid on something for a moment and relieve a little stress. It's just really purifying the nervous system and the physiology, which is very deep. You know, it's a definitely a deep process for those who, let's say they say they they, they might tell you, well, I, I have a hard time meditating. I can't meditate. And, and and they resist meditating. You know, I, mean, I think many people we know well we should meditate, but we don't, and so we're constantly resisting meditation because maybe my mind is just bombarded with thoughts, and and I'm supposed to like 
like the sages, Emily, I'm supposed to just be thoughtless, have no thoughts. And my mind is full of thoughts when I'm meditating. Screw this, I'm not going to bother. What, what, what does one do? How, how does one deal with the incessant, constant thoughts that maybe pop up in meditation? Are we supposed to have no thoughts? I mean, what's, how do we navigate that? How does someone deal with that? Great question, because you're right. This is the number one barrier for people. They think, well, Emily, I want to meditate, but I can't. My mind is too crazy. I sat down. I told my brain to stop thinking. I was thinking about my ex and my taxes and snacks. I suck at meditation. I'm going to quit. And really what's happening there is that people are judging themselves based on misinformation. There was like some dude out there telling everyone that in order to meditate, we have to clear our minds and we got to find this guy and we got to teach him how to meditate because the mind thinks involuntarily, just like the heart beats involuntarily. So trying to give your brain a command to shut up is as impactful as trying to give your heart a command to stop beating. It does not work. So if you're having thoughts during your meditation, good, you're not dead. You know, the only time the brain flatlines is when we die. So we have to change our criteria for what a successful meditation looks like. It is not flatlining. A successful meditation is one where your life gets better afterwards. (laughs) So people say, well, how do you know it's working? I'm like, because your whole effing life will get better. Your sleep will be better. Your immune system will be stronger. Your sex drive will be higher. You will be happier. You will have more intuition, more creativity, more synchronicity, more serendipity, less inflammation, increased brain elasticity. Your chances of being hospitalized will decrease by 47%. But, oh, yeah, you might have some thoughts while you're sitting there. So if you want to quit, fine. But just know what you're <laughs> <laughs> So, so... I'm sold. (laughs) (laughs) And yes, I know I sound like a used car salesman. And people are like, well, how can meditation do all of those things? And it's like, well, the better question we should be asking is how is stress messing so many different things up? Mm. So so let's say one is sitting there. Obviously, I'm not saying let's teach the whole meditation process now, but let's say someone's like, okay, they're sitting there. what are they supposed to do? And I'm using that word, you know, specifically, what are they supposed to do with their minds? Like, yeah. Emily, my mind, I've got these thoughts. What do I do? What do I do? I mean, I, you're saying push them away. Don't push them away. It, it doesn't stop. You're telling me I'm not, I'm, it's okay to have thoughts, but I'm thinking of the groceries. I'm thinking of my ex. I'm thinking of having sex. I'm thinking of you know, the cookies. I, well, mm-hmm. Do what? So. How do I deal with the mind? Yeah, how do I yeah, do so, don't, you're saying don't tell it to shut up, but it does. Yeah. What do I do? Yeah, and so the reason why I think so many people love this idea of clearing the mind is that they don't like what their minds are saying to them. Uh-huh. And the beautiful thing about meditation is that because you are getting rid of that stress from the past, you start changing your neurochemistry instead of it being like an acidic adrenaline and cortisol parade inside, which are stress hormones, you start flooding your brain and body with dopamine and serotonin, which are bliss chemicals. And that changes the flavor of the conversation. (laughs) Instead of like, I suck, I'm old, I'm fat, I'm going to dial in with cats eating my face. Like who doesn't want to shut that dialogue up? Um, Mm -hmm. Once you start flooding your brain and body with these bliss chemicals, the the conversation changes to like, oh, maybe I should start that company or that, you know, what if I write that book or what if I move to this place? <laughs> you're like, and those thoughts, you're not that interested in shutting up because you might enjoy them. Mm. Um, now that said, what you just mentioned, this like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? This is why I created the Ziva technique because for most high mm. achievers, for most high performers, it's very challenging for them to go from the doing, doing, doing 60 miles an hour, go, go, go to just like dropping in to the deep surrender, yeah. restful bliss that is meditation. That, that phase transition mm-hmm. is a little too abrupt for many of us. And so we actually mm-hmm. start the Ziva technique with mindfulness. And mm-hmm. like I said, mindfulness is the art of bringing your awareness into the present moment. And you are directing your focus. So you do have something to do when you're practicing mm-hmm. mindfulness. And so we start, folks, with a really simple technique called come to your senses, where you just use your five senses as a tool to get yourself into the body and into the right now. And we start with a sense of hearing. And I love that because you sit down, you close your eyes, you start to listen for all the things happening around you. 
And that does two things. Mm -hmm. One, it gets you present in the right now, but it also pulls the lens of your awareness out so that you start to include all of the sounds inside of the experience instead of assuming Mm -hmm. that meditation should make you deaf. Because just like you're going to have thoughts, you're also going to hear stuff. And when you hear a siren, Mm -hmm. you're going to think about a siren. And that does not mean you're a meditation failure. Right. So we actually start by moving through the senses, giving the body something to do, getting grounded, and then we move into the meditation. And you're right. I would love to teach meditation in this podcast, but it takes me live. It takes me about eight hours to teach it. I have an online course that's about 15 minutes a day for 15 days. And the gig there is if they want to learn this powerful, like stress detoxing tool, you want the keys to those cars, I have to give you the driving yes. instructions. So I yes, want to make sure that people are properly equipped on how to detox mm-hmm. that. But I'll give you mm-hmm. one analogy that I find really helpful. So Please. you do have a different type of meditation practice and maybe you're wrestling with the number of thoughts or the types of thoughts that you're having. One, just please hear me. Thoughts are not the enemy of meditation. Effort is. But the analogy that I like is one of a party. So let's say you're in your meditation and then just imagine instead of a fight in your mind, what if it's a party? And whatever technique, whatever tool you're using, that can be your guest of honor. Honor. So for some people, it's the breath. For some people, they're doing some sort of visualization. At Ziva, we do use mantras, but it's not japa meditation. So you're not focusing on the mantra. Mm. But whatever your technique is, that's your guest of honor. Okay? But in order for it to be a party, you have to invite some people. So Saturday night, 8 p.m. rolls around, you open up the door, and there's your 10 best friends. And you're like, oh my gosh, good, so good to see you. How are you? So glad you're here. Mm-hmm. Thanks for bringing champagne. Um, hey, I heard you took meditation with Emily. <laughs> she really is crazy as everyone says she is. And then uh-huh. um, the, the doorbell rings, and then you open it up, and then there's 10 people you've never seen before. They look a little weird, mm-hmm. a little rough and tumble. Not really sure if you want them in your mm-hmm. house, but they can clear out the party. So you're like, come on yes. in. So in this analogy, the invited guests are the thoughts that we like having. I'm dating this new amazing person. Mm. I just got a raise at work. I think I'm the best meditator in the land. These are invited guests. Now, the uninvited Mm. guests are the thoughts that you don't like having. Why didn't this person call me Mm. back? I don't know how I'm going to make rent this month. You know, why, why did this person cheat on me? You know, how, blah, blah, blah. Uninvited, stressy guests. And your job at this meditation party is to be the host, not the bouncer. You are the host of the meditation party. You are not the bouncer. So you just innocently favor your guest of honor, check on them from time to time, whatever your technique is, but all the other guests are allowed to be at the party. And if you start punching Mm. people in the face and trying to kick them out of the party, they're going to punch back and guess who's going to win? The thought. Mm -hmm. Because the mind sinks involuntarily just like the heart beats involuntarily. So instead of it being a fight, let it be a party. You be the host, not the bouncer. I love, I love that analogy. Party versus fight. Yeah. You are the host. Because, you know, the reality is, yes, if we start fighting with those guests, they're going to fight back, and there's a lot of them, and it's freaking pandemonium in there. But I, but, but I think great. when we're able to just embrace, right? Embrace, accept, embrace. But, be, but still, you know, we're aware. We're not unconscious. But there's, there's, there's awareness. Um, we, we give... We, we give them less power. And uh, what I found in my life is, is when I don't fight the thoughts, those thoughts kind of start losing their energy, you know? And, and when I don't feed them, they start losing their energy and start, over time, what I've observed within myself is they start falling away, you know, naturally mm-hmm. and more naturally. So that's, that's beautiful, yeah. folks. Party versus fight. I love that. In terms of mindfulness, um, you know, we're living in, uh, intense times, busy times. I mean, you're in New York. I'm in LA. There's probably lots of folks listening to the podcast that are running around, kids, uh, job, work, stress, the political climate in America. I mean, all these stresses. And so I would love for you to share any specific tangible ways that you have found helpful to deal with stresses of life. You know, just everyday stresses that we face. Like, what, what does one do in specific moments of stress when, let's say, I'm feeling anxious? Oh my God, anxiety. Can I, how, how do I handle that moment? Or um, news of a breakup. How, how, what do I do to handle that moment? I know you have a, a beautiful baby. Like, I mean, maybe 
I'm assuming there might be some stressful moments there. And I've heard many mothers say, oh my God, it's so much stress. I have three kids. How to, how to find some calm in that moment when your kid is going crazy and it's, you haven't had any sleep and she's falling apart. Like guide us there. Any specific mm-hmm. things people can do in the moment, practically. I know that's not technically meditation. It might be more mm-hmm. a mindfulness component, but still dealing with stress. So mm-hmm. uh, share your thoughts. Yeah, so a really simple but incredibly powerful technique is something called the 2x breath. And mm-hmm. it's not, I wouldn't call it meditation, but it's, it is a quick mm-hmm. fix. It's, oh my gosh, I'm about mm-hmm. to lose my shit. Oh my gosh, I'm having a panic attack. My kids are screaming. Yes. I didn't sleep last night. I had traffic. My boss is yelling at me. Like, what do I do? You know, you're just out of what I call adaptation energy. And so the 2x breath is very simple. All you do is double the length of the exhale from the inhale. So you inhale through the nose for two, and you exhale through the mouth for four. Inhale through the nose for two. Exhale through the mouth for four. It's ridiculously simple. You can keep doing it in your own time if you want to, in through the nose for two and out through the mouth for four. And what we're doing here is that we're calming the vagus nerve. We're starting to relax the vagus nerve, which is the super highway between the brain and the body. And doubling the length of the exhale helps to soften and tone the vagus nerve. It, it, is, it is powerful enough to take you out of an anxiety attack or panic attack if you catch it early enough. Mm. And the thing I love about it is that you can even do it walking. So if you're angry or if you really have a lot of physical nervousness that you need to burn off, you could do it eyes open walking, in for two steps, out for four steps. And as the body starts mm. to slow, you can do in for three, out for six. And I would recommend doing it 10 to 15 times. And by the end of, you know, you do that 15 times, it's very unlikely that you're going to be in a full-blown fight or flight stress reaction at the end of that. Your body's going to have more oxygen. Mm. Your brain will have more oxygen. And you're going to be better equipped to make a more sound decision. You're likely going to have more of your executive function of your brain available to you. So you're going to be less likely to make a mistake. So that's a quick fix, Mm. just 2x breath. You can Mm -hmm. do it seated, you can Mm -hmm. do it closed, eyes walking. But the thing, the sort of philosophical thing that I would add to that is this yeah. is why it's important to make sure that you go ahead and, and take the time to learn a meditation practice to train yourself in a technique mm. so that you don't wait until you know you're at a nine out of ten you don't wait until everything's mm. falling apart in order to manage your stress because if you're not managing your stress it is managing you and so this is why mm. i like to walk people through a matriculation through a training and then once you graduate from ziva you don't need me anymore. You don't need your phone or an mm. app or your or headphones or Wi-Fi. You just close your eyes and you can do this thing on a subway, on a plane, in your open floor office plan with your kids yelling wow. in the next room. Anywhere you can think a thought, you can do Ziva. And so that it, then it becomes incredibly portable, but you're not using Ziva as a mayday mm-hmm. tool. Like you wake up, you do it first thing, and you fill up your brain and body with bliss and fulfillment. And again, this thing I call mm-hmm. adaptation energy. And then you do it again mid-afternoon where you would have had the coffee, the nap, or the chocolate. Again, you're filling up your reservoirs mm. of bliss, fulfillment, and adaptation energy. Does it take away the demands? Does it take away the screaming kids or the boss? No. But because you're filling up your tank of gas with this energy and bliss, your reaction to those demands is going to be dramatically different. Yes. So this yes. is not meditation. But it's not going to change your life. It will change the way that you are handling and interacting with your life, which in, mm. in, over the long term does change your life. Just the last thing about that like stress piece is that mm. I love this quote. I don't remember who said it originally, but that stress is a waste of perfectly good imagination. Actually, the quote is worry is a waste of perfectly good imagination. And so when you're talking mm. about the political climate, we're talking about climate change, we're talking about, you know, in, in financial inequality. Like these are things that you could literally kill yourself worrying about them. Like they yes. are, and yes. they are terrifying enough that you could, pickle yourself with stress. And that's what a lot of people are doing. They're watching the news 24 hours a day. They're sitting in their houses and they're stressing themselves out and they're not doing shit about it. And it's like, Mm. if you aren't going to get up and take some action on the thing that you're watching Mm. the news about and turn it off, it's like bottlenecking on the side of the road. You staring Mm. at the car accident is not helping the people who were in the accident. Either pull over and help Mm. them or drive on by. 
And I think we got to get out of this idea that me stressing myself out and being informed about the news, it's like, watch the news, yes, but then either take action or absolve yourself of the stress. But it's, it, we're not doing anyone any favors to add to the collective stress in the consciousness. Mm, mm, got it. Powerful. Now, I'm just almost hearing like meditation is, is it's like it's dealing with more of the root, not just because you said, I mean, I thought that, that, that the two experts was really powerful, but I did hear you say a few times, it's a quick fix. And I was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. You, you, you were very intentional about letting us know. It's a quick fix. Do it. It's powerful. But meditation. And so it felt like meditation correct me if I'm wrong, is really more about going to the root and clearing things out from there so that the there's less of a stress reaction uh, as a result of, of, of kind of clearing stress out of one's, one's, one's nervous system and physiology. Would that be yeah, that's kind it. of... You got that, it. Yeah? That's yeah. it, exactly. Yeah. Got it. It's, in terms of, you know, what, one more thing about meditation, um, you know, people seem to resist it. Is there a... Can you just speak to that? We know it's good for us. I mean, we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, but we, we don't do it. What, what, is there a thing inside of us as human beings why we don't do this thing that we know is good for us? I know I need to meditate. Truth, I know I need to meditate. When's the last I, I haven't meditated in a month. Just fuck, just freaking sit down, sit your ass down and meditate. That's all, just sit down. Why don't we? Is, is is there something inside of a like a meditation, you know, psychological something that we're afraid? Like, what is that phenomenon? Right? I mean, have you noticed that? Yes, big time. But look, here's the thing: what is if, that? if there was no such thing as resistance, we would all be Pulitzer Prize-winning supermodels. You know, like we all know we should eat our vegetables and write and create and go to bed before midnight and call our moms more often. Like. We know how we should be acting. We don't act in accordance with what we know. We act in accordance with the baseline level of stress in our nervous systems. And that's why I think meditation is so powerful because it's defragging your brain computer so that you can run the software that you already have. Like, it's not a religion. It's not a doctrine. It's not going to tell you how to live your life. It's just going to give you the ability to act in accordance with what you already know to be true. Um, So that's one piece of it. But specifically the resistance to meditation, this is also why I created the Diva Technique. So remember how I said we use the mindfulness as a phase transition to take you from the doing, 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 then we move through the mindfulness active into the being. The other way that we use mindfulness And this is, again, like when I thought, what can Emily Fletcher bring to this meditation party? Like, what can I say that hasn't Mm -hmm. been said before? How can I help remove the resistance and solve this big Mm -hmm. problem so that people know they should be meditating and they're not doing it? So why not? Interviewing thousands and thousands of my students. Like, why are you putting the keys to the kingdom down? You got them. You got Mm -hmm. the keys to the kingdom. It's right inside of you. Why are you putting it down? And, you know, the, the, the surface story that people have is I'm too busy. And I'm like, well, what's underneath that? What's really going on? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if Oprah has time to meditate, then you have time to meditate. So that's not really <laughs> That's true. right. Um, so I was like, what's underneath that? And what I realized is that people are terrified of feeling their feelings. We've been trained uh, to, be yes. to not feel like, shh, don't cry, shh. Don't cry. Have a bottle. Have mm. a cookie. Have a have a Facebook. Have a Spanx. Have a you know. Just don't feel. There's billions of dollars of industry built on top of ensuring that we never have to feel our feelings, and meditation mm. makes that non-negotiable. Meditation rings you out, and like you said, it goes to the root and it gets rid of all those old stresses. And most people are terrified of that. And if they don't have mm. a teacher warning them that it might happen and then two equipping them with the tools to help process those feelings as they come up and out that's when a lot of people quit they think they're too busy but really they're like i don't want to feel that lifetime of trauma that i've been uh, having i don't want to deal yeah Yeah, i don't want to deal with it so so, no so that's the way we use mindfulness And, and mindfulness is again it's closing the feedback loop between the brain and the body um, meaning that you are putting your mental attention on whatever physical sensation is happening. And that could be sadness, that could be anxiousness, that could be shame, mm. it could be, um, you know, even pain, physical pain. And there was a yes. fascinating study. I was at a neuroscience conference a few years ago, and they revealed this study on mindfulness and pain receptivity. Mm. And I'll give you the, I'll cut to the chase, but they had four control groups 
and they gave them all a pain stimulus, which was like 115 degree heat on the back of their calf. Mm. And in one group, they gave them fake analgesic cream. So they told them it was a pain relieving cream, but it was really just lotion. In the second group, they gave them books on tape to listen to. Um, yes, I said books on tape. I'm 40. Um, <laughs> um, and then the third group was taught sham mindfulness, meaning they mm. told them they were going to teach them mindfulness, but they just said sit in a chair and breathe. The fourth group was actually taught mindfulness. Now, the, mm. the lotion group, their pain receptivity dropped by only 1%. So they were tested before the lotion and after the lotion, and their pain receptivity mm -hmm. changed by 1%, so not a, really at all. The books on tape mm. people, their pain receptivity changed by 3%. The sham mm. meditation group, okay, so fake mindfulness, their pain receptivity dropped by 22%, which is equal to morphine. The mindfulness wow. group, which is actually top mindfulness, their pain receptivity dropped by 44%, which is double morphine. Wow. And you can wow. fact check me on this because I, when I heard it, I was like, I'm just, I must not be smart enough to understand this because there is no way that's mm -hmm. real. And then they published it in Time Magazine. And so you can, you can check, check this. It's just research, search like time, pain, mindfulness, and you'll find the article. Mm -hmm. Um, but so anyway, this is the way we use mindfulness is that I, I want to warn people that when you start a meditation practice as powerful as Ziva, it's very possible that you're going to move through a healing catharsis. And that is yeah, my job yeah. as a teacher is to help people through that. And then I give them this mindfulness tool and say, hey, if and when those feelings start coming up, use the mindfulness to rather than numbing it or pretending mm -hmm. that it's not there to sit in it, to feel it fully. To sit in it, yes. To feel you it. can move through to the new now. Mm, I love that. Uh, is there anything just before I move on? I have a few more questions for you before we move on from this feeling because I think it's so right on. Uh, we are a culture where we have learned to numb our feelings. You know, we sex it away, we Facebook it away, we just, drink it away just whatever it is to not feel and it keeps us trapped it keeps us stuck and I see so many people do these great sort of you know activation you know manifestation techniques to high states but because the energetic of the feeling of pain trauma hurt sadness what have you is still trapped inside of their being they, they open and then the reality brings the, the unprocessed stuff brings them back down to their current level of, of, of sort of unfelt stuff. And so I think we're often afraid to really feel because sometimes we were afraid of if I really feel, I won't be able to handle it. It'll be too much. I won't come back. I'm going to die. I won't survive. Um, so in terms of mindfulness, is there, is there anything else you could just clarify for people? Because someone might be saying, shit, I, I can't feel all of that trauma it's it's just too much emily i just i i i, I don't want to go there and so is there anything you can say to, to just guide people about how to deal with some of those feelings that may come up you know mm -hmm. that are likely to come up as part of their healing process you're talking about some some you know being with the sensations uh is there anything else just to kind of complete that piece because i think mm -hmm. it's so important that we are able to cultivate a relationship with our feelings yeah, well, I think that the reality is that without the processing of the old trauma, there is no manifesting. Mm. Just like you said, mm. you can know all the tools, you can have the magic wand, but if you don't believe that you deserve your desires, they ain't coming because we don't get what we mm. want in life. Get what we believe we deserve and if you have mm -hmm. a very old tape and an old script that you're not lovable or that you should be ashamed or that you are you deserve abuse which which is a tape that so many of us inherited even before we were eight years old then if you don't clear that if you don't actively mm -hmm. move that trauma up and out of your body then it's it's not impossible but it's almost impossible to really call in the life that you deserve and to create on the level that you're capable of. And so I'm, that's why I'm a big fan of, of this meditation yes. because it's not just about feeling good. It's like if you want to feel good for 20 minutes, go smoke some pot. That's not right. what this, this is going to do for you. It's, it's bringing you out. It's systematically healing the entire backlog of stresses from your whole life. And what I like about Ziva is that it's not therapy. So it's not like, okay, well, in this meditation, sit down and think about my parents' divorce or in this one I'm going to sit down and think about mm -hmm. that college that I got kicked out of. It's like 
Sometimes you'll be having a great day. You'll be feeling awesome. You'll sit down to meditate and water will start coming out of your eyes. And you're like, why am I crying? And you don't, you're not even necessarily sad, but your body is just purging. Like I've had therapists come and take Ziva and they're like, I have dealt with this. What is going on? And it's like, yes, you have dealt with it psychologically. You've dealt with it emotionally. On one level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now Ziva's going to be healing it on the cellular level. It's clearing mm-hmm. that stuff on a pre-verbal, physical level. And, and that's when I find that you, know, you don't even necessarily have to process every single thing. It's not like a file folder. Mm-hmm. Um, but if the feeling does come out, or you know, if you do have a moment of like, because in the first few weeks, honestly, for folks, that's when it's the most intense. That's when they get angry mm-hmm. and sad and tired and overwhelmed and foggy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once that dust clears, then you're just like, oh, I'm just up-leveling, up-leveling. And occasionally you'll hit a little patch of sadness. Um, mm-hmm. But like, we have to bravely walk through the uncomfortability uh, in order to get to the other side. So I'm not about suffering, right? I'm not about wallowing mm-hmm. around in the suffering, but I am about bravely moving through a bit of uncomfortability yes. to step into our greatness. What I love that you're saying is I think something that is often missing from a lot, a lot of meditation practices in that I think a lot of times people use meditation as a mm, transcendental way of uh, doing a spiritual by, uh, like a spiritual bypass as a way to not mm. deal with their feelings. And what I love is you're, you are helping people sort of release and purify and face, not avoid or disassociate or disconnect from, but face the energies and the feelings that come up as a result of meditation, deal with it and release that. And so that's, that's beautiful to hear. I love that. It's grounded, you know, and it's real and it's, Mm -hmm. it's a necessary kind of process, I think in, in what it takes to really um, heal, transform and evolve. So, this is exciting, really exciting. You know, I want to be respectful of time. And so I feel like we could, well, you know, our time has flown by. Um, and definitely at some point, Emily would love to, to have you back and take a deeper deeper dive. There's so much more I wanted to, to delve into. So I'm looking forward to that. If there were, let's say, three, you know, you shared a lot already. But if we were to distill some things, if you were to look at your life, um, success, ups, downs, you know, relationship motherhood, everything you've lived, if there, were, if there were three key life lessons that perhaps you feel would be the most in, uh, impactful, meaningful life lessons that you've learned that if you could only pass these three keys to you know, your child and your grandchildren and the future uh, generations, what would the, the three key life lessons be uh, in bullet mm. points? Well, I'll share the concept that's been coming in for me very recently, and that is this idea of being willing to heal the younger version of you, but also simultaneously Mm. being open to being healed by the future version of you. So I know this is like a little out there, a little esoteric, but if you think about time not as a horizontal line, but as a vertical one, and that the past, mm. present, and future could be happening simultaneously. You know, you could think about 10-year-old you, and you can think about 100-year-old you. And so just like you could go back and visit 10-year-old you and say, you know, like hold their hand through a scary situation or say, mm. hey, this isn't your fault, or hey, you, you know, you're doing the best mm. that you can. Um, hey, you're not alone. Like just like you can go back and comfort and guide mm-hmm. a previous version of you, I think it's it's important for us to realize that there are older versions of ourselves, more advanced and evolved versions of ourselves that are also guiding us right now. And so just mm-hmm. keeping that, that two-way channel open, keeping that conversation with your younger self and your older self open, I think is something that I'm playing with a lot these days and a concept that I'm trying mm-hmm. to figure out how to teach to kids. I'm working on a kids meditation course right now, which I'm very excited about. We're working with like Sesame Street writers and we're making a puppet. And, and, and I think my definition of a master is the ability to communicate complex ideas with simplicity. And boy, howdy, am I going to mastery school right now? <laughs> because I don't want this to be just a, uh, you know, a silly little course. I want to, these, these techniques are profound and I want to communicate them in a way that is easy to adopt for kids. So there's one. <laughs> Just like you can guide your previous version of you, be open mm. to guidance from 
a more advanced Open version. to guidance from the future. Got it. Mm-hmm. Powerful. Uh, the other one is maybe a little cliche and overdone, but it's that other people's opinions of you are none of your business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, it doesn't, what other people think of you, it's not your business. It doesn't matter. And also, usually, people aren't thinking about you. <laughs> So why are we caring and proving and showing so much instead of just asking, what do I want to do? What would I love to do right now? Instead, we're like, oh, well, let me do it before her. And, well, they're going to think this, that, and the other. No one's thinking about you. Just do what you want. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I wish I knew that one a little earlier. It's it's Um, quite sobering. Yep, it really is. And a third one would be, as far as motherhood and with my son, mm. the thing that that is teaching me is is intense presence. But that's a little ambiguous. But I'm really getting into Rye. There's a parenting technique called Rye. And I just this morning went to a Waldorf school to, to check it out. And there's there's one little saying, and it is, do less, enjoy more. And my, my book is called Stress Less, Accomplish More. So it's 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 similar concept, but especially with kids, it's like they are already masterful learners. They know how to learn and they are learning so much faster than we can as adults. So don't teach them how to learn. You don't have to correct them or show them or do, you don't, like none of that. It actually gets in the way of their own inherent natural process. What they want is presence. And of course, you need, they need, you need to make the environment safe for them. Of course, you know, it's enriching activities. So I'm not saying neglect your children, but with Rye, it's like you get on the floor with them and you watch them and you're intensely yeah. present. Yeah. But you're not mm. showing them anything or guiding them or distracting them. You're just with them. Mm. So it's do less, yeah. enjoy more. And that's my that's my theme song with my son right now. Which is a good just made me think. That's a beautiful thing. I mean, just being being with him, you know, and it just made me think about wow, it'll be similar, interesting principle with life. Just being with life without like doing, mm-hmm. just being and, and just seeing what unfolds, you know, in the in that beingness and that presence. So, folks, you heard the three keys: future self, step into your future self. Other people's opinion of you, none of your business. Do less, enjoy more. Being beautiful. Listen, I have loved this conversation. Um, love you. Love your work. Love your passion. Just, just love your realness. Love what you're up to, Emily. You know, definitely. As I hear you talk, you're there's a reason you're. I consider you a soul sister, and uh, it's been such a joy just sharing and being with you. Uh, what's the best way people can find out about your work and your meditation program? Give us the best website. Yeah, so the best one is simply zivameditation.com. So I know ziva is kind of a weird word. It's Z-I-V-A, zivameditation.com. And that's you can find the book and the online training and the live courses. That's all there. And we're all over social media. We're just at Ziva Meditation. Awesome. Awesome, folks. You heard it, divameditation.com. We will uh, post uh, uh, Emily's links in the show notes. Check out her book. Get it on Amazon, Stress Less, Accomplish More. Uh, she is amazing, I think, as you as you can feel, feel her heart. And uh, I've taken tons of notes. Go to her website. Check out her program. Get her book. I would love to also hear from you all, Coop Blackson at coopblackson.com. Send me an email. I would love to know your key takeaways specifically from today's episode. Check out Try Implement the 2X Breath. Let me know how that's been going. And I would love to hear uh, about your experience with Ziva and meditating and seeing what, what unfolds in your life, folks. Make sure you also download this episode, share it with your friends. I would really appreciate that on social media. And I'll catch you in the next episode of Soul Talk. Love now, everyone. Big hugs. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.coopblackson.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply 
Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at coopblackson.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.